0: Well, greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Greetings. He who rides upon the clouds and cometh with ten thousands of his saints, who commands the archangels and all the heavenly hosts to do his will. Aren't we glad today to be in the presence of the Lord? Can we say thanks be to God? Thanks be to God. One day the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, and all men will know his name and bow to the wisdom and power that comes from him and him alone. David saw the Messiah in the future of Israel. And here, as the Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 110, here how they were called to worship their king, the same king that we are gathered here today to worship. Psalm 110 says, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power and in the beauties of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through the kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen and he shall fill the places with dead bodies. And he shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook and the way, and therefore shall he lift up the head. That last verse in Psalm uh, 110 is an image of victory over the enemies of God that is replete through Scripture. You may run into it. It uh, is a picture of after the great battle, the great thirst that comes on men, and they go and they go down to the water, and they drink the water, and they lift up, and they are refreshed by the waters. Uh, that, they, that they drink after the great victories in battle. So he shall drink in the brook in the way and shall lift up his head. Christ will be victorious. Amen? Amen? All enemies will be put under his feet and the last enemy to be conquered we will all thank God for will be death. For there will be one day that will come when death will no longer reign. It will no longer affect our families and our church and the world that we live in. But life and life alone and no death. Let us ask God to be with us today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for inviting us into your presence once again on this special day. Lord, we give this time to you and we expect that you will be with us, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will change us. We will come before you asking forgiveness of sins and we know that you are willing and able to do it. We will come listening for your voice and we know that you will speak to us. Lord, we pray that by your word, by hearing it, Lord, that you will give us the faith that changes us, O God. We pray that when we leave this place, we will leave different. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said... You've been standing for a little while here, so just I won't keep you much longer. I'm going to read my text for you out of the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Matthew, chapter 24, starting in verse 36. Uh, we're in uh, week 83 of our journey through the life of Christ in the Gospels, and um, we're at a passage that is uh, found in Mark chapter 13, in Luke chapter 21, and in Matthew chapter 24, and we're going to touch on these things. We've actually been talking about them for a few weeks, but we're going to drill down a little bit more on something I hope will be a great blessing to you. You guys ready for it today? Yeah. All right. Matthew 24, verse 36 says, But of the day and the hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And they knew not until the flood came, and it took them all away, and so also shall the coming of the Son of Man. Then there shall be two in the field, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. We are very interested to hear what you have to say to us. Speak to everyone including me today and I pray Lord that we would hear your word that we would be changed by it and that it would give us uh, a new perspective that we would go out from here uh, better informed that we would go out here changed to do your holy will in Christ's name we pray and all the church said amen Amen. may be seated there is more than one kind of salvation now before you get scared uh, don't, don't get scared. Uh, when we gather together in this place on this day, when we read God's word and we hear the word salvation or talk about being saved, what, what do you think of? All right, what do we think? We think of heaven. We think of redemption. We think of having our sins forgiven, salvation from sin, getting saved from the punishment of hell, right? And allowed into heaven. But there's more than one kind of salvation. I'd like to sort of open your mind and hearts to something that can really transform the way that you understand and apply scripture to your life. God's word is a book of wisdom about the salvation of the body and the spirit. Everybody say the body and the spirit. body and spirit. You know, if everything that you read, you look at it and you spiritualize it, you'll miss out on a great deal of the practical wisdom of scripture. God is not only trying to help us uh, stay out of trouble in the life that we're living right here on earth. uh, He's doing that, and he's also preparing us for heaven. These are two different things that God is doing. You can get in trouble. You can get wounded. You can get injured, uh, and you're still going to go to heaven. You guys understand this? More than one kind of salvation. I was telling my kids on the way to church, I like to talk about what I'm going to preach about, and I said, you know, the people at the Alamo did not get saved they all died now were there saved people at the Alamo who went to heaven everybody say yes I guarantee there probably were you don't say that but (laughs) probably some Christian men in the Alamo who were saved but they didn't get saved does that make any sense they got they didn't get saved but they were saved all right so a lot of times we read the Bible and we don't look into the nuance of this meeting and we can develop some very strange things, some very strange doctrines about eternal salvation and forgiveness that are based on things that ha- don't have anything to do with that but merely have to do with the salvation of the body. Are you guys following me? Yes. Noah saved his family, right? A great flood was coming upon the world. He built a boat and he and his family got on board. They were saved by the boat and they were saved by Noah. Salvation came to Noah and his family in the form of a wooden boat. Now, this boat did not save their souls. Noah did not save his children from their sins by building an ark. And sometimes in our Christianity, that's what we're doing. We're building an ark, and we think we're saving people. God saves people. Amen? Amen. Now, we build arks. That's all right. We can build arks. And some of the things that we do with our hands are great, and they're wise. And of course, in this instance, it was... He was preparing for an imminent disaster, and the disaster was particularly the judgment of God. There are many passages in the Bible uh, about both of these things. Some of the passages are about both of them at the same time. Some of them are by the way of shadow. In the same way that Noah and his family were saved by water, what does Peter tell us? In the like manner, baptism also saves us. How does baptism save us? It is a picture as the water caused them to rise above the destruction in, in the boat, it lifted them above, and everybody else drowned it in the water. That's what Peter says in the like figure. So, we have a salvation in the physical sense that's being typified in a spiritual sense. God took the children of Israel out of Egypt and they went through the Red Sea, and they were saved from Egypt, right now. They were saved, and the the firstborn perished with the death angel, and the plagues came on Egypt, and they didn't come on Israel. There was actual physical judgment that God was sending on a very particular geographic location, and there needed to that people needed to be saved from that. James five uh, talks about something. That is a little controversial for some people to think about, but if you read James chapter 5, it would be kind of hard to to not see what's going on. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and what they said there led to a different kind of a practice, but I don't think it was necessarily based on what the Scripture was talking about. And they would say, are there any sick among you? Do you guys know the passage in James chapter 5? If there are any sick among you, uh, let them call for the elders of the church and pray for them anointing them with oil and if they've committed these sins they should what they should confess these sins they should repent of these sins right and the prayer of the faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise them up now there's something going on here elders are coming they're coming to your house they're anointing you and then there's the talk of sin and then there's the talk of repentance and the next thing they're being raised up right if you get to the last few verses in James chapter 5, it says, brethren, if any of you err from the truth, okay, any of who, any of the Christian people that are James were talking to, and someone turns you around from your errors, let him know that he that converts a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now when you look at this, you might be thinking it's talking about salvation, but it is about salvation, but it's not salvation of the Spirit. It's not salvation of redemption. It's salvation of a lot, a lot of trouble. Anybody ever try to give somebody advice and say, hey, hey, don't do this. Okay? Hey, don't, you know, uh, we used to work in the inner city a lot, and they'll, there's a lot of drug users there, and they'll tell you, they're like, don't even try it and you're like well what do you mean you know people are proud well what do you mean what do you you think no 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 don't try it why well if you try that drug you may never be able to stop trying that drug and so you're trying to save them from something very bad that's going to happen to them that you see them meet a girl she's an unbeliever and we say, you know, you, really, it's, you shouldn't marry this girl. This is, this is not good. The Bible says that we are not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Don't do this. What are you wanting to save them from? If they marry the unbeliever girl, are they going to go to hell for it? Are they going to live in a miserable life? Are they going to be unequally yoked? Are they going to be miserable on a, a, a regular basis for many, many years to come? Everybody say, yes, they will. There's no fellowship with light and darkness, no communion with Baal and Christ, and you make yourself one with a a woman who doesn't know God, and you're a Christian, you are bound in misery. And so sometimes we need to be saved in the practical sense from our own foolishness, from our sins, there are things that we do that God will judge us for. And God does not allow his people to live in perpetual sin. God will stop the sin because his name needs to be glorified and you represent him. If God will help you in the church by eliminating you from planet earth. Do you guys know this? Have Have you not read in the scripture where judgment begins where? The house of God. Remember reading in 1 Corinthians, the Bible says... You need to be careful about this whole communion business. You need to think about what you're doing. Make sure that you're not living in sin, that you're not treating others poorly. And said, you know, some people are sick and some people are even dead because they've they've done this wrong. God judges his people. Now, I know, and and this is an exciting message. Are you guys excited about this? (laughs) Everybody's wondered, you know, every time they've done anything wrong, anytime anything bad happens. Hey, God disciplines his people, and sometimes he does it... uh, in pretty rough ways. We'll get into that a little bit more, okay? Uh, here in Matthew 24 though, when we've been talking about is about the answer that Jesus gave to his disciples of the question, when. Everybody say when. when. They wanted to know when the temple was going to be destroyed, okay? Remember there's a ramp up several chapters where Jesus is contending with the Pharisees and every time he does something good, they want to kill him. And he gives these parables to them. He said, hey, you know, there was this guy, and he had, he, he had this vineyard, and he went away, and he sent servants, but the people beat the servants. And then he said, well, no, they they hurt my servants, but, but hey, you know, I'm going to send my son. And they send his son, and what do they do? They kill his son. And then he, and he asks the Pharisees, what's going to happen? And he goes, they're going to get wrath and judgment, and he's going to pour out all the wrath. And, and Jesus says, that's right. And then he lets them know that's what's gonna happen to you. You know, and, and then then they get mad, right? And so for several chapters this ramps up and in chapter thirty three it's the most scathing A horrifying rebuke I can't imagine standing before the Lord as he called me a hypocrite over and over and over as he told me that I love to devour widows houses that the disciples I make were nothing but whited sepulchers and twofold children of hell and that nothing is going to save me from the wrath that is coming and that destruction is coming on me that was meant to come on everyone in the entire Old Testament that killed a righteous prophet it's all going to come on you and he says and it's going to come on you right here this is pretty scary. Could you imagine this? Like all the prophets from, from righteous Abel all the way to the end of the Old Testament, the judgment that has been stayed is about to come on you people right here in front of me. And so the disciples are a little uncomfortable when they get to the beginning of Matthew 24 and they're like, hey, do you see these beautiful buildings? Aren't they, isn't the temple great? And Jesus goes, yeah, it, it, they're beautiful, but I'm going to destroy it. Not one stone upon another is going to be left and it's all going to be torn out. And they're just like really it had just been completed by herod the king and it was beautiful they liked it i can imagine they thought messiah had come we're gonna move in this is gonna be our new church we're gonna take over the christians are gonna rule and the jews are gonna be put down messiah is going to you know rule the world the romans are gonna be cast off and we're gonna have this beautiful temple we can worship in. and jesus says no not one stone is gonna be left upon another and they were like wow and they said, when's this going to happen? Jesus let them know that it would be soon. You can read about it, as I said, in Luke 21, Matthew 13, as well as Matthew 24. He gave them general signs, signs of the times, kind of like in, it, it's going to happen when you start seeing these things, wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, false messiahs. Those, he says, but the end is not yet then began to tell them he said they're going to persecute you and they're going to kill you and they're going to you're going to be hated by all men for my name's sake but this is necessary this is what my plan is but the end is not quite yet and they want to know when exactly is how will we know and they said we'll tell you so he told him he said now the imminent sign of the immediacy of this thing that's going to happen it's called the abomination of desolation. You guys heard of that? We talked about it last week. Somebody said it sounds like a thing, like a, like a world wrestling federation. The abomination of desolation. You know? But it's about something that's going to happen that will bring desolation. Did you guys just hear Daniel chapter 9? The whole chapter, Daniel chapter 9, starts out in verse 1, Steve, saying this is about the judgment of God upon the city of of Jerusalem that's going to desolate it. Now how many are confused? Is that is that clear? Right? You read Daniel no. This is the prophecy about the desolation of Jerusalem. Alright? For the entire chapter it's discussed through chapter 9 of Daniel. They had this happened more than once in history but it was going to happen again and there was prophecy of it that would come after Messiah came that Jerusalem would be destroyed. Luke chapter Twenty-one verses 20 through 21, a parallel passage here. Jesus says this in verse 20. When you see Jerusalem, everybody say Jerusalem, compassed about with armies, then you will know that the desolation is near. Okay? Let him that which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them that are in the midst of depart out and let them not that are in the countries, let them and let not them that are in the countries enter there into for that these be the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. He's referring back to, and he says it very clearly in Matthew to the book of Daniel uh, chapter 9. This would be the sign that would cause them to flee the city. Now, this is important. If an army came to your city, what would you normally do? Everybody would run where? Inside. Jerusalem had a three-year supply of food and water, and nobody could, no army could last that long, especially not one all the way from you know the Roman Empire coming from Rome. They they wouldn't have the supplies. Three years. They're just inside laughing at the people on the outside. They thought. So he lets them know when this happens, it's not time to run inside the sea. It's time to do what? Run Run out. He says, flee to the mountains. Now, this would be an uncertain thing to do, but these were specific instructions. When you see this happens, you need to leave Jerusalem, get away from it, and go to the mountains. He gives directions. He even says, I hope you're not pregnant when this happens. I hope that it's not on the Sabbath when this happens, because they had rules about how far they were, you know, supposed to walk on the Sabbath, and it was not very far, and they needed to get out of town fast. He gives an analogy of Lot and Noah. And when we look at the analogy of Lot, we, we see, you know, we, you can miss this, the whole story of Sodom and Gomorrah, God is going to destroy it, and Lot lives there. And so God's about to pour out His wrath, Steve. So He says, it's time to leave. Now, does Lot want to go? He's kind of wanting to hang out there. And so God sends angels in there, and they get Lot by the hand. And what are they doing? Are they going, you know what? You're God, you'll be okay. You'll be just fine. You just stay right here. Is that what happened? No. I'm going to destroy the city... And everybody in it, and if you're in it, guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get destroyed. So where does Lot have to go? He's got to go out of Sodom. This is how Lot is going to be saved. He's not going to be saved from hell, but he's going to be saved from the fire and brimstone that comes from the sky that's going to destroy Sodom. You guys tracking with me? This is not that complicated. In the same as Noah, there was an impending physical destruction of the world and they had to listen and they had to get away from it. How did they get away from it? They got in the boat, they got away from the destruction. Lot had to leave the city and when he left the city, he could be saved. In both cases, the people were told about the judgment, but they didn't listen. Life continued as though nothing was going to happen. Remember what they said? It was like in the days of Noah. Now, when we read this, and many people, the way they uh, interpret it, they think that it's bad. People were eating and drinking. Folks, eating and drinking is not bad. They were marrying and giving in marriage. Now, this is not a, I'm not trying to say divorce is okay, but he's saying they were living life. They were eating and drinking. That's what people do. They were getting married. That's what they were doing. They were living life as if judgment wasn't coming. And because they were living life as judgment coming, they missed the fact that it was coming. And what did they receive? They were lost. They died. Uh, They were caught up in the judgment of God. Now, when we read a passage like this, we might be tempted to make it say what it's not saying. What does our salvation depend on? Is it up to us to stay ready? Growing up, this is what I was taught. I was taught that if you're not ready, when, when the trumpet blows, you're gonna to go to hell. We were hyper-Arminian in our theology, and uh, I was kind of an ornery kid, and we would get out away from home, and my mom and dad, I, I like to say I was raised by wolves, uh, because my mom and dad would sort of let us just do whatever we could run out. We could play in the woods. We could swim through the gravel pits and do kind of crazy things, and we did some rough things. But at church they scared us They're like if you sin, you better hurry up and repent because if the trumpet blows and you're not ready and you, you're you not totally 100% cleaned up from all your sin, then you won't be ready and you're going to get left behind. Anybody ever, did anybody get that priest at your church? It's a priest at my church growing up. That was pretty scary. Now, that works out good if you it, to help your kids behave themselves and to keep them talking to god and to keep them confessing their sins to god it's good for all of that okay but is it true is that what the bible says does our salvation depend on us everybody say no it does not not. is it up to us to be ready to stay ready to keep making sure every day that we're getting resaved every day over and over and over again up to the last second is that our job everybody say that's not our job It is up to, is it up to us to watch out for Jesus and if we don't watch out, we'll miss it and we'll go to hell. That's not true. And that's not what the passage is talking about, but it's, there's these songs, I wish they'd all been ready. They make movies, you know, they, you know what, Tim was a pretty good boy, but he got caught up in the wrong crowd on that day and when the trumpet blew, he went to hell because he was hanging out at the drugstore with the bad boys on that day. You know, and it's like, many people, Jesus was saying this, but I hope to show you that it's not only, would this be inconsistent with salvation by faith through grace, given to us as a gift, in spite of our personal ability to be watchful, to be ready at all times. That's a lot of pressure. But Jesus wasn't saying that. If that's what Jesus said we could do, I would be up in this pulpit, pounding my fist, terrifying you, and making sure and calling it, hey, Brother Ryan, have you repented today like seriously? Because yesterday I saw you and you were a little bit nasty to your wife. I don't want you to miss heaven. Please. And you, you, you might even think I'm kidding around. I would do that. If that's what it was. I'm thankful today that my salvation does not depend on that. Amen? Man, what a stressful way to live that would be. What he was doing was preparing them for the wrath that was going to be poured out on Jerusalem and the Jews who rejected him. He had just said in chapter 23, The wrath is coming! It's about to be poured out. The, the temple's about to be destroyed. It's about to be made desolate like chapter 9 of Daniel, which is about what? The destruction of Jerusalem, which is about the, the judgment coming upon them for what? Not obeying God. It's all right there. It's not that complicating. You see, the, the the line I was taught was it's so complicated I could never find it in the Bible. I wouldn't teach on it for a long time because like, the stuff they said was going to happen, I can't even find it. And my son was telling me this thing called where Where is Nathaniel? Where's he at? Called Occam's Razor. Is that what it's called? Something like that. He said, if you're reading something about the Bible and the complication is the, the explanation of what it means is so complicating, no one can figure it out, but the expert teaching it, it's probably not right. Okay, God's word is meant to be understood. And here they're being told the city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. You should flee to the mountains. Were there mountains? Oh yeah, there were mountains nearby. Okay, we can do that. He says destruction is going to come when Messiah comes. Now let's start walking through Matthew 24. We're going to talk a little bit about this. I'm going to deal with a passage in 1 Thessalonians that talks about this where that has given rise to the modern idea of the imminent rapture. And I'm not going to try to solve. I don't exactly understand everything the Bible says, but I'm trying to understand Matthew 24 here. And when you keep reading through Matthew 24, if you get the idea that the Bible is teaching that these people have to be ready and they got to be watching and they got to be prayed up to the exact second that the trumpet, and if they're not, they're going to hell. If I could help you be delivered from worrying that that's what Jesus was saying, because he wasn't saying that, that's what I'm going to try to help you with right now. But I'm going to also talk to you about what this means for you today. And there are things we need saved from today, Okay. It's not, we're, we don't need saved from the destruction of Jerusalem, just like we don't need saved from the destruction of Sodom. Sodom's already been destroyed. Jerusalem's already been destroyed. We don't need to be saved from those things. Those events already happened. Okay? Matthew 24, verse 22. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Now... As we start this lengthy passage, which we could spend several weeks on, remember the words from verse 22. Jesus said the days of this great tribulation were going to be shortened. And if they were not shortened, okay, if they continued like this, that no flesh, everybody say no flesh. No flesh. No flesh would be saved. So what is the subject? What is it? No one's going to heaven or no flesh is going to be saved? Everybody say no. No flesh. It says if they were not shortened like and they continued like this no flesh would be saved this passage is about the saving of the flesh not of redemption of the spirit in modern language it's about the saving of your bacon okay these prophecies are similar to those given by lot given to lot by the angels and given to every one by noah as he went around preaching Take action or you're going to die. Get out of Sodom or you're going to burn. Get in the boat or you're going to drown. Jesus says the days had to be shortened for the sake of the elect. So that tells me that God's people would be there and they would be alive and they would not be gone when it happened. We're shortening it for who? For the elect. What about the elect? The flesh of the elect. Their physical danger. Even God's elect, if they were in the city, would be deeply affected and at least hurt, if not killed. Okay? Now, this may be hard for us to understand. It. We may say, well, God wouldn't do that. Well, he, he does this. He did it with Lot, right? Lot had to be removed because the judgment was coming. You'll see this. God will judge and judgment will come and you can get caught up in it. And, not, and it's not your fault. You're just in it. You've got to get out. Okay? Verse 23, if any man shall say unto you, lo, here's Christ. Believe it not, if any man shall, you know, there rise false Christ. False prophets, verse 24, they'll show signs and wonders. All of these things, according to history, as we talked about last week, all of them were occurring. The hist- Josephus said there were over 120 people who claimed to be Christ during this uh, period between the time that Christ died and A.D. 70, when the Romans came and destroyed Jerusalem and leveled the temple and in- and stopped Sacrifice in the temple permanently and it's never been restored Verse verse 27 as the lightning comes out of the east shines to the west so shall the coming of the Son of Man be This doctrine called the coming of the Son of Man is talked about all through the New Testament And when we hear it we think of something different Than what is being said just as though there's two different ways to think of salvation as one is physical and one is spiritual, there are two ways to think of the coming of the Son of Man. So here we are, Jesus is talking about the coming of the Son of Man, and many of us think in our mind what well, we've been told what that means, the end of the world, right? And he's, telling, he's calling something else the coming of the Son of Man. When you read the book of Revelation, he's talking about something that's about to happen in the very, very near future, right? Starting in verse 1 in Revelation, these things are going to shortly come to pass, they were being prepared for a cataclysmic event in the world to happen where the end of Jewish life as it has been on earth came to a complete end and never would be restarted again. That's what Daniel said was going to happen, and that's what happens. Verse 29 here. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be dark, and the moon shall not give her light, the stars fall from the heaven, and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. There's a lot that we could cover here. I'm not covering that. You'll see where I'm going in just a moment. These are pictures, and we can go through these, and we have gone through these at other times, but these are pictures of the authority structure the way it was. The the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and the high priests, and the rulers, all of these would be represented in these stars. The powers that be are coming down to the ground as God brings judgment on the, the, the Jewish people for rejecting their Messiah. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in the heaven, and there shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of, uh, of heaven with power and great glory. The coming of the Lord, and you can find this in the New Testament, you'll find it in the book of Psalms and other places. The coming of the Lord is the promised judgment of God that is impending on the ungodly. And so you'll see this talked about. Now, now, a lot of people will tell you they know everything about eschatology and everything exactly about it supposed to happen. And I'm not that guy, okay? But I want to help us understand Matthew 24, and I'm going to show you... My, I'm going to try to quickly do this. This will be a little bit difficult because I'm not really good at doing things quick. Uh, I'm going to show you how the, the doctrine of the rapture developed and then was laid over Matthew 24 as though it were part of it, Okay? And I think it's been done so in an improper way. Can you guys stay with me long enough to do this real quick? Okay? All right. So the doctrine of the coming of the Lord was an important doctrine in the early church. It was for a very good reason. It was important to be ready. I mean, if God's getting ready to destroy Sodom, we should know to get out, right? And if He's going to destroy Jerusalem, we should know to do what? We should get out. And we don't know exactly what it's going to happen, but we need to be ready because if we're not ready, then our you know we'll be gone and we'll come back, and our wives and children are going to get killed in this horrible judgment of God. We've got to be ready. And if and if we're not ready, what's going to happen? We're, we're going to die. People we know are going to die. we got to deal with this. We need to be ready. They needed to know that it was coming in the near future so they could be prepared, so that they could be saved from it. Saved literally from the wrath of the physical death that could come. All right. So, now the doctrine uh, of the rapture is actually a, a newer thing that sort of developed after the Schofield Bible came out after the turn of the century. And when uh, Hal Lindsey wrote the book, The Late Great Planet Earth, it went to the next level. And a lot of people everywhere started believing this, this doctrine. And I'm not here to really deal with the whole thing, but more what Matthew 24 is saying. Okay, So it came from First Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the hallmark pa- passage of the rapture doctrine that is commonly believed today that I don't believe is being taught in Matthew 24 at all. Okay, It might be being taught in other places, but I don't believe it's being taught in Matthew 24. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says this in verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. Everybody say caught up. up. That word caught up is, that's where they get the word rapture from. That is a word caught up is rapture rapture okay they will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord wherefore comfort one another with these words so my goal is to look at this real quick and see if even that passage which everyone uses as the hallmark passage if it's even talking about that okay you ready because i'm going to go through the entire book of first thessalonians to help you do this you ready for do this real quick super fast those of you that are visiting, I apologize for nothing. Okay, this is Foundation Church. <laughs> Settle in, baby. Settle in. Okay. So, so First Thessalonians chapter one says, uh, and I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna read the whole book, so don't get scared. But uh, it, it mentions about the coming of the Son of from heaven. Okay, 1 Thessalonians one. They themselves show us what manner of entering we had into you, how that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, and we wait for the Son from heaven, who he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Everybody say, "The the wrath to come. Okay, the Son of heaven is coming, and he's going to deliver us from the wrath to come. This is Paul teaching the doctrine of the coming of the Lord, Steve. And he talks about that he's coming to save us from the wrath to come. So why is God saving us from the wrath to come? Everybody say, because the wrath is coming. This is in AD 50, and it's about not even 20 years out to where this is about to happen. And as we get closer, the book of Revelation is written just a couple years before the destruction comes. So here he's saying, we're waiting for this wrath to come. And Jesus is going to save us from it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, you brethren came as followers of the churches of God, which is our Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. For you also have suffered like the things of your own countrymen. Even they have the Jews. Everybody say the Jews. Jews. Okay, who who are the Jews? Verse 15. They killed the Lord. And their own prophets. They persecuted us and they pleased not God. What does this sound like? Sounds like Matthew 24. They killed the prophets and they persecute us too. And they haven't pleased the Lord. And these guys aren't living right. Okay? Verse 16. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. And then he says to fill up their sins... For the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. And so this doctrine again, God's been waiting for his wrath, but we know it's coming. Jesus said it's going to come in the generation that they're living. All the wrath of God is going to come on this generation. You've heard it quoted, this generation shall not pass before all these things be fulfilled. That's what's being talked about here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, he talks about it again. Verse 12 and 13, And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another, toward all men, even as toward you, to the end that you may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even the Father, and here we have it again, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all the saints. So he's talking about the coming of the Lord in chapter 1, talking about it in chapter 2, talking about it in chapter 3, and here he gets to chapter 4. Now, it was customary, as you see from Paul's letters, that he would address them. He would say wonderful things about them. He would give them hope about salvation. He would commend them for their good works, and then he would begin to correct them. And uh, chapter 4 and 5 is a very long list of corrective measures he begins to take on the, the people here at Thessalonica. Okay. In the, the last section is jammed with lots of admonitions to don't do this and do this and change this and he deals with something that there is an error about that's causing them to be sad we'll get to it here Paul's trying to help them correct a false doctrine they believe about their dead loved ones that was causing great anguish in their hearts they someone had told them that when uh, when the resurrection happened that there would be no resurrection that only the people that were alive were going to make it in heaven. So you got to be, you know, you got to stay alive. So when Christians would die, they were told there wouldn't be a resurrection of them. And it was paining their hearts. Could you imagine you, you love a family member and they die and are like, man, they're going to miss it all. Man. And this doctrine had begun to work its way into the church. And so he said, he began to correct them in verse 13. I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Everybody say asleep. Asleep means they're dead, okay? You should not sorrow even as those which have no hope. Here we have saints that have died, and I'm going to comfort you about them. So what's the subject? It's about saints that have died and have gone before, right? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay. He's telling them that those that are asleep in Christ are going to be a part of the exact same resurrection That we are, that they're not going to miss it, that they're going to be a part of it. He told them that you comfort each other with these words. These were words of comfort. I would need these words for my mother. My mother is gone. Some of you have lost your loved ones. You would want to be comforted. They are not going to miss anything. Okay? He tells them in the next verse, But of the times and season, brethren, you have not need that I write unto you, for you know perfectly that the day so cometh as a thief in the night. What's he quoting? He's quoting from the passage in Matthew 24 where Jesus was talking. This day that you're worrying about, this event that's going to happen, they're not going, you know, this is going to come as a thief of the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman. This is the beginning of sorrows. If you remember, that's exactly what Jesus said. He's quoting this doctrine about whatever is going on in Matthew 24. This is applying to that. Okay. Verse 4. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep of the night. They that are drunken are drunken at night. But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not appointed us to wrath. The destruction of jerusalem was not for the church it was not to judge them they were not appointed to this wrath so when the wrath comes they've got to do what get out of town get out of jerusalem watch be ready don't get caught up in this we're not like the world who doesn't know it's coming we're the church we know jesus has prepared us let's get out of town wherefore comfort yourselves together edify one another Faithful is he who calleth you, who also will do it. Brethren, pray for us. And he he goes on. Okay? Now, if you go back into Matthew 24, he says, learn the parable of the fig tree. And he goes through this. Likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is at the door. Verse 34. This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So, we could talk and talk and talk about this. I was hoping to open up a way of thinking here. But I'd like to stop and make a little bit of application about something I think is very relevant to our lives. Okay? So, all scripture is relevant for us. God's warning to the people in Noah's day is not relevant for us because the flood's not coming. The people that were living in Sodom's day, relevant for us to read, but we don't need to get out of Sodom because Sodom's already been destroyed. The warning Jesus is giving about getting out of Jerusalem, not a warning for us. It's already been destroyed. Okay? But we do have a lot of warnings that we need to heed about ourselves. Anybody know the story of Ananias and Sapphira? Ananias and Sapphira. You know, Steve and I were talking about this, and sometimes I've said this, and I almost laugh when I'm saying it, but I, I, I hope it's true. The early... God kills some people who were giving and offering at church. Now, is this a little bit difficult for you to sort of imagine? I mean, I understand why he would kill a bunch of heathens. I understand why he killed the Canaanites who offer sacrifice. I understand why he kills all these people that he kills in the Bible. But he kills some people at church giving an offering because they weren't telling the truth about how much they were really giving. Now, this is hard, okay? Now, when you read this passage, if you get out of this that if you lie... God's going to kill you and you're going to go to hell. I think you're not getting the right message here. You know what I'm hopeful for? And I was telling Steve, I hope that one day when we go to heaven, Jim, right? Is that your name, Jim? I hope that I'm walking around and there's a guy up there and I say, what's your name? And he goes, Ananias. And then he kind of goes, yeah, I'm that guy. Would you like to meet my wife? You've probably read about us. <laughs> uh, we thought, you know, we, we wanted to, you know, Barnabas, everyone liked Barnabas so much and, and and we wanted people to like us and we we just flat out lied to God and he killed us. And wow, you know, and, and that really affected the church after that and we were used by God. And he said, you know, I'm just so glad I was used by God, right? Now you might go, now come on, Pastor Mark, you're being silly. I I, I really... I think there's a good chance that's probably true. God deals with us. How do you you want to be used, Jason? What kind of example do you want to be? Do you want to be an example to the flock? Do you want to be an example of of what faith really produces? Or do you want to be an example of what it means for God to save us, reserve a place for us in heaven, call us holy, and then we live like the devil, and God has to deal with us and judge us? I, I don't want to be that example. Growing up as a, a young man and a young pastor, I said, let me tell you, I never want to be Jonah. Like, you can name your kid Jonah. That's great. I don't want to be that. I want to be the guy that God talks to, and he didn't do it. But you know, because there was a Jonah, I don't have to be a Jonah. Amen? I learned from him what not to do. And a lot of the warnings are for us as Christian people. You know, we, have the, we, we believe that we're saved by grace here in this church through faith, and that's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. But you know what you can do with that? You can say, well, then, that, then I'm done. Oh, no. Oh, no. You have a whole life to live. And what happens in this life will have a lot to do with what you do. God loves his people, and he will not allow us to live in sin. And a life of sin is miserable. And I'll tell people sometime who are living in sin, I said, do you think you're going to go to heaven? They say, I think I am. I say, why don't you start living like you're going there? Why don't you start living that life right now? Flee from sin. God's not appointed us to to wrath. But what's He do to us? If if we persist in sin and we live in sin and we go astray and we dabble in this and we try this and we we take these things, do you think God is just going to stand by and let it be? Folks, I'm telling you right now, God will not. You know how I know? Because He's done it to me. Over and over and over again. The Bible says this discipline that God brings, these difficulties, this judgment that he brings is proof that we're his sons. If you live in sin and do wrong and nothing bad ever happens to you, you might want to get to the altar and ask God to save your soul. My father watches me. He sees my sins and he doesn't neglect me and let me run around and do things. He brings judgment on me and I'm thankful. I'm thankful he hasn't killed me. And if I get wiped off the face of the earth and they go, well, probably it's a great lesson. Hey, let it be a lesson to you all. All right? Folks, God is good. Man is a sinner. But because He's good and He's a sinner, we don't, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, let's not do that. We that are dead to sin should not live any longer therein. But if we decide to, let me tell you right now, the judgment that came on Sodom and Gomorrah is going to come on you. God is going to bring judgment to you. It is a promise in Scripture. That's kind of practically applicable, right? God cares about our behavior. It doesn't save us. You know, if we're not ready or we make a mistake or we got to have a bad problem, I mean, you know, I've been dealing with some things with my wife. She's recovering from brain surgery, dealing with an illness, on tons of medication. My wife, who is a saint way better than me is less saintly on you know 6,000 milligrams of gabby penton than she was before she's less saintly when she's being shocked 300 times a day in the head with trigeminal neuralgia and if she did it wrong god's gonna send her to hell i don't think so god sees that we're sinners right our salvation doesn't depend upon our performance or our readiness or our watchfulness in those areas. But our salvation in the flesh to our, our, our children and our lives and the way that we live, there's a lot we should watch out for. And I'll close with this. We, we preached a sermon re- recently on watch out for little ones. And Jesus made the same point there. He said, you know, offenses will come, but I hope they don't come by you. Because if they come by you, you can be prepared that some bad things are going to happen to you. God cares about his people. Of course the world is going to bring offense. But woe be if they come by the people in the church. Love the people in the church. Amen? What we do in our marriages are important. What we do with our morality is important. How we live our lives. Who we marry. How we possess our vessel is critical. Because there is wrath to come for those of us who choose to stay in Sodom. Destruction will come we don't want to be in that amen amen Uh, let us pray heavenly father Lord I know this is a very difficult passage and I know some a lot of people look at it differently but I really pray and hope that as we have traveled just a, a little bit in it today that we can see the message for those people in that time was a message that we can remember that your judgment is not something we are appointed to but we can have it if we so choose to stay where we shouldn't stay and do what we shouldn't do that as your wrath comes we can flee from it and as we live our lives that that we dedicate them to you that we serve you in righteousness that as Peter admonishes us that we would be holy because you're holy That we would come out from among the world and be separate. That we would not be uh, held bondage when we're free men. Oh God, let us walk free. Let us not be entangled again with those things that you have freed us with. Or we may live our lives on our way to heaven in chains. Lord, let us live free here now and free in heaven too. In Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Amen.